but the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Against such a thing there is no law. Uh, I wanted to make a point uh, that I don't necessarily feel qualified to be up here um, sharing what I've been studying, what I've learned with you guys. Um, But what I hope that you get out of today is that it's not really the point. Um, it's It's not about me. It's not about... Uh, me imparting my information to you, um, but it's more about what Christ is doing through what is shared today. And so on that note, um, let's pray real quick and uh, invite Christ to speak to us today. Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to recognize the fact that you are good and what you have done for us, that you have sent your Son to die for us in our place to reconcile us to yourself that we might live new life with you every day from now until eternity. Lord, I ask that you would be here in this place with us now. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, a heart to understand and listen, receive what you have to say to us today. Lord, I pray that you would speak words in the hearts of all of us that surpass anything that could pass my lips. Ask your Holy Spirit to fill me, fill us, and to enable us to live the life that you have called us to live today. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, what I would really like to do is just read Scripture to you. As I was studying and reading and just making connections in the Bible, it's just I, there's just something about this thing that I, it just gets me. When I read it, and I would, I would love to just read to you because it's just, it's all here. Like anything that I could say, it's coming from this. It's here, and in part, that's what I'm going to do. I have a couple passages to share with you, but uh, what I'd like to do is to draw some connections between these passages uh, to talk a little bit more about kindness, about Paul's message in in the book of Galatians. <clears throat> so last week, Jake shared about the context of the book of Galatians about. Church, church, and the, the group of people in Galatia that he was writing to. And uh, what I want to do is kind of draw upon that context and, and, and build on that. Um, so to not repeat Jake, but to, um, to continue on that, um, that same idea. So the first passage I want to look at, um, does anybody need a Bible? Does everybody have a, I'm reading from the ESV. Everybody good to go? I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to start. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 10. Am I too loud? I can only hear myself, like, because the speakers are right by my head. So, okay. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, through 6, verse 10 says this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others... But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Whoop, I started too soon. Now on, therefore, I'm going to stop real quick. Therefore, Paul is building upon a previous, previous statements, his previous argument. And in the, uh, in, in the spirit of context, uh, what he's talking about previously is he's talking about life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. And so based on that, he's saying, therefore, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. 
Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, we made him to... For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So again, I want to draw a parallel here between what Paul is is writing to the church uh, in Corinth and to the passage in Galatians, which we'll get to in a little bit. So there's a lot of, uh, you may have picked up on, there's a lot of therefores and thens in this passage. And as I mentioned, he's, he's drawing upon his previous arguments, or his previous statements, but as well throughout this, throughout this passage that we just read, he's building upon himself as he's speaking. And so what he's getting at here is that, and this is a, pretty common verse, I think one of the most prolific verses from 2 Corinthians, but he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So what Paul is setting up here and talking about after the first part of this passage is he's saying that Christ is the, he's the focal point, he's the turning point. He, he is what he has done for us and, and how he changes our life. This is the, that is the, that is the point from which all of these things that, that we display as believers, that's where all those things are based. That's where those things come from. So now we're going to move to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, kindness being the same kindness referenced in Galatians, in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <clears throat> so Paul is, is again making this comparison between who we were before Christ and who we were after. And he talks about our previous life as though we were living in death, that we were essentially the walking dead before Christ entered our life and, and changed us. And <clears throat> the death here that he's talking about is a spiritual death. It's not, it's not, a, a, um, it's not a physical death, but it's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual death. And in comparison, he's talking about the life that we now have in Christ because of what Christ has done in our lives. I also want to point out, um, so I, I mentioned kindness uh, in, in terms of, that's the same word that Paul references in Galatians. Um, but here in this context, we see that God, this is the kindness reference here, is God's kindness that he's showing to us in Christ Jesus. And that's really important. I want you to remember that um, as we, uh, we're going to touch on that a little bit later. Um, and again, another very prolific verse here, um, Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that any man may boast. Again, Paul is driving home the fact that our salvation, what Christ has done for us, we receive that not based on anything that we have done, but based solely on what Christ has done and by placing our faith in him. We're going to move on to Colossians chapter 3, which is just a couple books later in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Sorry, I know this is a lot of scripture, but we're almost, we're getting through it. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also, with appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And again, I read this to, to really drive home the fact that Paul... His message is, is the same. Whatever, whatever audience he's talking to, his message 
is this, that specifically in, in this passage, he uses the term flesh, and that which is of the flesh. That we, were, we used to live, as, as, we, as we saw in Ephesians, we used to live in death. What was of us was of the flesh. And here, I love that he, he uses it almost as like an identity, that the things that are coming from the flesh, that's what identifies the flesh. It's identified as coming from the flesh. But he says, you are now God's chosen ones. So you have been called to, to uh, he says, put on then, or to put on these things as, as God's chosen ones, as your identity in God is now based in Christ. Therefore, put on these things to show you a new identity. We're going to move now to Galatians. We're going to read through uh, 5.16, or sorry, 5.16 through 26. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So one of the things I want to... Um, to, to focus on here again, we have the flesh versus the spirit. And as we read in Second Corinthians, um, in, in the context of what we read, Paul was talking about life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. And so Paul is, is again, making this, this connection, this, the, he's setting the stage for um, the, 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 the message that he's trying to get across. And I also want to point out that the spirit that is... That, that Paul is talking about in, in this passage in Galatians. Um, in many of your Bibles, you should see Spirit as a cat with a capital S. And so the Spirit that Paul is talking about here is the Holy Spirit. And um, that same, may seem kind of elementary, but uh, it's important to note that we have, our Spirit has been brought to life through Christ, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, also dwells in us because of what Christ has done. When we accept Christ, that the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is indwelt in us. He makes his home with us. And in Corinthians, Paul says that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I also want to um, pay special attention to... Uh, where was it? Um... Taking this verse and, 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 and kind of looking at some of those other verses that we paralleled with this, um, what, what Paul is, is, is talking about when he says to put on the things of Christ or as, as, our, as our identity in God is now based on Christ, as he 
encourages us and admonishes us to live out these things that this is the origin, again, the origin of those things is Christ. Those things are based in Christ. This is not a, this is not a repayment for what Christ has done. We are not repaying God by being, you know, loving, by, by having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That this is not a response and that God has given to us, therefore we give this back to him in repayment to, to try to measure, uh, measure back to him what he has given to us. So moving forward with this theme that Paul is getting at in his messages, I want to move back to the first chapter of Galatians. In verse 11, he says, The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I love that he starts his book out with this, because this this is, this is key. This is it. This is, he's, he references the gospel. Like, this is what it's all about. This is what Paul is talking about. And uh, I want to um, move forward with this context uh, as a contact, context for what Paul is, is saying in, in, in the rest of Galatians. And um, so he's, he's saying this, is, this gospel, this is not from man. This is not something that was put together or that was defined by man, but rather Christ revealed this to Paul. Many of you know the story of Paul. How Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus and you know, took his sight and um, sent him on to Damascus to be taught by um, uh, uh, one of God's followers there. I don't remember his name, but this was where Paul received the gospel or he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what he, what he now teaches, he does not teach as, as, as some, you know, uh, theology or, you know, um, worldview or lifestyle based on man's teaching, but that this surpasses all of that. And this is, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to him that he shares with others. And, uh, one of the things that, um, in, my, in my personal spirit, experience in studying the gospel, one of the things that I've really enjoyed um, specifically about um, uh, being one of the youth group leaders is looking at our curriculum and, and finding the gospel in that. And so we, several, a couple months ago, we talked about the gospel and finding the gospel, and that was really fun because we got to get some feedback from the kids and kind of help, you know, um, connect some of the dots and uh, just to see the understanding that they took away from that was really cool but also as we from that point as we move forward and studied even some of the old testament scripture where you know you're reading about daniel and the writing on the wall and you're like you know okay there's you know maybe there's some applicable applicability in here for my life today but like what is that what does that really mean how do i connect with somebody you know that was you know alive thousands of years ago but when you begin to look at it from the perspective of, you know, how does this tie into the gospel, it just brings so much more out of that scripture. And it just completely changes your perspective as you're reading through the Bible. Uh, my mentor in college, he, he called it the crimson thread. That is, your, as you're reading through scripture, there's this crimson thread that's winding its way through all of scripture that points to Christ and what he came and did for us. 
Jake and I were talking, he even mentioned that this is, this is actually one of the focal points for how they canonized Scripture was how does it point to Christ? Like these writings, no matter whether it was from, you know, the very beginning, the writings of Moses all the way through to the writings of the apostles, um, to the, you know, the crazy, you know, writings of John and Revelation that, you know, we still don't understand today. What does it point to? Does it point to Christ? And that was, that was one of their main criteria for determining this is part of God's word that we have today. Moving on to chapter 2, verse 16. It says, A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ, Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, as I was studying this passage, uh, I, I found a lot of um, uh, just uh, statements and word choices and um, ideas that Paul is getting at in this verse that um, pull heavily, or I guess you can also find in Romans. And when Jake and I were talking, he said, he suggested that I kind of stick with the context of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. And so it was really hard for me to not reference Romans as I'm talking about this verse. Um, but Romans is an incredibly rich and deep theological book that Paul wrote for an entirely different purpose. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I even read that Galatians is almost like a little, like a concise version of Romans that he wrote to the Galatians. Um, and uh, pulls a lot of those ideas. So I'm not going to touch on that. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, if you want a, uh, a good sermon series on Romans, I know John Piper has done one. Um, you can ask the elders what they think of John Piper. And what? So talk to... <laughs> Did you, you reference this sermon? Okay, so there you go. Romans, awesome sermon series. It's very, very long. Like I said, very rich, deep theological book, so he spends a lot of time in Romans, excuse me. I don't talk a lot, so I wet my whistle. So in in, in approaching this verse, staying away from the big theological um, ideas here, uh, let's talk a little bit about what Paul's saying here. So he, he mentions the worst of the law. What is the law that he's talking about? Here, what Paul is referring to is the Mosaic law. So this is the law that was, that was handed down to Moses after they left Egypt, and they set all these things in place, this law in place for the Israelites. And so that's what's referred to as the, the Mosaic law. And, and so what Paul is saying here in referencing this law is that by, by, these, by, by, by trying to... Um, follow through with all of these commandments of God by trying to uh, meet all of the requirements of the law, that we are not justified before God because of that. And he, says, and he says in the first part of the verse, he says, we know, and then says all these things, we know that a person is not justified. So he's, he's approaching the Galatians with this argument that, like, you know, we've already got this figured out, right? Like, we, we've already gone through this. We've already talked about this. We already have this understanding that we are that we are not justified by works of the law. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And another word I want to look at here is justified. 
What does it mean to be justified? Um, looking at the original Greek, um, what the, a couple of the definitions that, um, that, that are pulled from this word in the original Greek are uh, justified means to be acquitted, to be cleared of all charges, and to show that we are conformed to a proper standard. And I love that last part about conforming to a proper standard because I, I, I had a story that I really wanted to tie in here, and this was a perfect spot for it. Uh, so this past week... <clears throat> Um, I was doing some training at work. Uh, I was at a, one of our plants for three days, and I was training to be an internal auditor. And basically what an internal auditor does is they talk to people, and they review and analyze their processes and ask questions about, you know, how do you do this? How do you know to do that, et cetera? But as, as we were studying and, and, uh, um, and learning about how to be a good auditor, uh, one of the things that um, is, is key, one of the very... Um, key principles about being a good auditor is that the standard to which we audit all the whole entire company, it's an international standard that we, that we hold ourselves to as a company. This standard is what defines how we do what we do. And so as we're auditing, what we're doing is that we're looking for conformance to this standard. So when we ask a question, well, the answer that we're looking to receive back is that that, that the person, whether it's their responsibility or their process or their procedure, whatever that thing may be, that it conforms to the standard to which we are holding everyone. And I thought it was really interesting, and, and, and we actually got to do an audit this week, and, and uh, <clears throat> I found this to be very true from experience, but when you're auditing, you're looking for conformance, you're not looking for non-conformance. So you're not going out like, you're not headhunting when you do an audit, right? You're going out and you're actually looking for them to be doing what is right. Or you're looking for them to be following the standard uh, as it's laid out. And it completely changes your perspective when you go and you do that and you, you, you look for conformance instead of non-conformance. But I, I wanted to share that story um, just to, to give you an idea of what it means to be conformed to a proper standard to be justified. When we go out and audit, we don't, and we find nonconformance, we simply report that. We're not, it's not our job to say, this is now what you must do in order to conform to the standard. We simply report, you're not conforming to the standard. We don't prescribe anything. And in this verse, what Paul is prescribing, he's saying, you will not be justified by your works to try to conform yourself to this standard. Rather, by placing your faith in Christ, who is already perfectly conformed to this standard, only then will you be justified. Only then will you be acquitted, shown to be righteous. Moving on to verse, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. This is, uh, this is where I want us to land this morning. Um, and there's a lot here, so I'm going to read the verses first. But it says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So you're probably wondering how kindness is supposed to play into this message, because I only mentioned it at the beginning. So I want you to, I want you to uh, key in on the very last part of that. It says that Christ died for no purpose. So 
This is a part of Paul's argument about why Christ needed to die. But <clears throat> the fact that Christ died for a purpose, and we know that purpose, right, to, to, to justify us, to reconcile us to God. But this, this purpose, I, I, this is where I want to tie in kindness. So the, uh, the, the word in the Greek that um, Paul uses for kindness in, in chapter 5, verse 22, it is a... Kindness is a noun that's derived from an adjective that's derived from a verb. And so the base, the base word for kindness is a verb. And from that, we get the adjective, which can, is, is typically, what I found to be is a typical definition for this adjective upon which kindness is derived to mean useful and profitable. Otherwise, it's the result of taking advantage of something, the result of something that you use for a purpose. It's serviceable. And so, it says Christ died for no purpose in, in, re, in relation to this argument. So, Christ died for a purpose. It was God's kindness to us that Christ died for a purpose. It was his purpose that he gave Christ for us. His kindness comes through in that he did that for a purpose. He sent Christ to die for us, for a purpose, and in that, his kindness is shown to us. I know I said that like the same thing like three times, but I really want to hammer this home for you. Back to my notes here. So it's, a, it's important to note that God showed his kindness to us because this is our model for kindness then because of the kindness that God showed to us. Um, in one of the other passages that we read, it said God wanted to display the riches of his kindness in Christ Jesus. In one of the books of, of John, um, that uh, the later books of John that he wrote to the churches, he says, we love because God first loved us. This kindness that God showed to us for a purpose is now the model for the kindness that we can show to others. And what was the purpose of this kindness? The purpose of the kindness, of God's kindness to us, was to lead us to Christ. Again, dabbling in Romans just for a second, Paul says it was God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Now, can we show kindness without God first showing kindness to us? Can we love without God first showing love to us? You might be able to argue that. You know, people that are into the humanities and, and are, would argue that, you know, apart from religion, that we can do good. I'm not going to argue against them. I'm going to say, yeah, maybe, maybe that can be done. But um, what I want to, and another thing I want to point out in, in uh, Galatians 5 is the, 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 the words that he uses when he's talking about the difference between the flesh and the Holy Spirit and how those things um, come from our lives. In, let's see, in verse 19, it says the works of the flesh, and then he begins to go on and describe all these things. But he says the fruit of the Spirit and then defines all the good things. And there's a, you notice he says works of the flesh, but the fruit 
of the Spirit, the works, the effort that we put into with our flesh in attempting to do good, in attempting to be kind, in attempting to love. Works of the flesh, while maybe producing good results at times, and not to say that these are only the, the only results of the flesh, but when we attempt to justify ourselves according to the law, this is the result. Again, maybe not every time, but this is what has come about because of that. But rather, the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit, not our works in the Spirit, not our works born by the Spirit inside of us, by having the Spirit and then thus working out our salvation or our faith, but rather the works of the Spirit inside or sorry, wrong word, fruit of the Spirit inside of us is grown because of the Spirit's indwelling in us. That fruit naturally comes from the Spirit residing in us and doing that work in us. As opposed to our efforts, even as God's chosen ones, it is, it is the Spirit living in us that produces that fruit. Jesus said, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. And Paul says in Galatians at the end of that passage in chapter 5, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. There's this constant need to be connected to the Spirit, connected to Christ. Looking back at uh, verses 19 through 21, Paul says, I have died to the law. Death is a necessity for justification. That's why Christ died for a purpose. That's why he had to die. Death was the necessity, death to the law. So we also, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He also, we also are crucified. We die to the law. And it is no longer we who live, but it is the spirit who lives in us. It is Christ who lives in us. It's not by a putting aside of the law. It's not by a fulfilling of the law. It's not by loopholes or saying that doesn't apply to me. It's through death to the law. That the law that God put forth was good and it had a purpose. But we must die to that. We have to come to terms with the fact that we do not fulfill the law, that we fail, we fall short. Again, trying to stay away from Romans, but Romans 6.23, no, wrong passage. In Romans it says, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Lastly, what I want to touch on we mentioned fruit in Galatians 5 as, as the word that, that uh, Paul was using to, to, deter, or to define the result of the Spirit's working in our lives. And uh, I think fruit is a, a really cool word choice there. Um, Jake and I were talking about the um, potential like cultural idea behind fruit in, in, in Galatia and um, in ancient Galatia, and I tried to do some research and couldn't find anything good on it, but um, still, uh, one of my mentors, uh, 
in college, he, he once was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and he, he gave us this picture of, you know, say you're walking through an orchard, and there's apple trees or orange trees or, you know, lemon trees, whatever you have. And you're walking through, and you see the fruit beginning to grow on the tree, and uh, it's, it's connected to the, to the branch, and the tree is giving life to that fruit. But as you're going through and you see the fruit, what is the fruit doing? It's just, it's not putting forth any effort. It's not trying to, it's not trying to grow and expand and to, it's not trying to draw that, that, those nutrients from the tree. It's not, it's not trying to, it's not putting in like, you know, fierce effort to try to grow. It's, it's simply remaining attached to the branch. Simply remaining attached to the tree. So it's just hanging there. It's just hanging out. Just growing. Another reason why I think fruit is, is pertinent here is, is uh, what else does a fruit contain? It? True. Seeds. That's what I'm getting at. So that fruit, uh, I've got an apple tree in my backyard and I had to cut it because... Like, when it gets all, all these apples on it, it, like, droops, like, all the way down to the ground, and it's, like, right in front of the path, walking up to the door. But uh, <clears throat> these, all the apples, you know, it's about this time of year, they start falling down and whatnot, and then the chipmunks eat them. Uh, but anyway, they, the fruit, you know, it falls. The circle of life. <laughs> But uh, the the fruit falls to the ground, and and what happens is seed. Uh, the seed becomes it 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 goes into the ground. It's how plants reproduce. It becomes a new plant. It grows and produces more fruit. But again, going back to this idea of death, Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you." Unless a grain of wheat falls into, earth and, into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And this is what I want you to take away today, that we must die daily to the law. That we must remind ourselves daily that we are not justified by our works and our efforts. But the fruit that, is, the fruit that comes from remaining in Christ, that comes from us dying to ourselves daily, to embrace death to the law, that we are not good enough, that in that death, and Paul says, you know, in people arguing over, like, you know, I follow this guy, or I follow this guy, he says, you know, we, water, we, we, can, we can water, and we can fertilize, but it's God who causes the growth, until we allow ourselves to, 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 to die to ourselves, we would not produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We would not produce this kindness that leads others to repentance, that leads others to God. I want to leave you with this uh, hymn. I love hymns. I'm a little old-fashioned in many ways. I want to read this to you because I love it. It's by uh, Isaac Watts, I believe. <clears throat> it's called The Wonderful Cross. It says, when I survey the, wonder, the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. 
See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? A wonderful cross, with a wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. A wonderful cross, with a wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offer far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. O wonderful cross, O the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. O wonderful cross, O the wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. O wonderful cross, O the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, simply want to point out the fact that you are good. That in your kindness, you sent your son to die to reconcile us to yourself. And that as we come and are crucified with Christ, that you give us new life, and you give us your spirit to produce a fruit in us that may lead others to repentance. Lord, I pray that we would model this in our lives every day, that we would apply this in our lives every day, that we would seek you, and that we would seek for the gospel to be renewed in our hearts and our minds every day. We love you, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to encourage us, to enable us, and to give us life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.